McShane Bible Study, day 172, and we're starting in Deuteronomy 26. And uh, he, Moses, God, are going over the law of first fruits and offerings to the people. And, and this is, if you remember, what, a month or two ago, I was uh, thinking about uh, first the dating of first fruits and Shavuot. Those are the only two of the seven holidays that are... They're debatable. The rest of them are very clearly set up. They have clear dates. You could argue which day is the is the new moon, and, and that could cause you to argue about all the holidays. But assuming that is established, all the other dates have a date. But these two, it's a, they're, the Shavuot, or Pentecost, is based on first fruits. And first fruits date is, is a little uh, unclear. And... And I argue strongly, as as many Christians do, that the um, the popular way of doing it is incorrect. However, I am not convinced one way or the other whether first fruits is the okay six out of seven years. It's very clear which day it is, but when the Saturday falls on Passover, it would also fall on. The last day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that is, uh, it could be one or the other, because it has to be uh, the day after the Sabbath, and this first couple paragraphs lines up with what they did when they came into the Promised Land, which was the day after the Passover, so that gives some credence to what I was thinking earlier this year. But I have a hard time getting around the fact that two years ago, the Lord started teaching us about first fruits on the, what would have been the last day of unleavened bread. So I, I'm not convinced, but this is an interesting thing if, if you're curious about that. But he's talking about when you come in, in the promised land, give of the first fruits to the Lord. Honor the Lord because he's given you these things. And the last uh, paragraph does a good job of basically explaining the whole chapter and also God's contract with us. What What is the deal with between us and God? Verse 16, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules, so live according to my ways, God says. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. So that's that's our part of the contract, right? We declare he is God and we want to learn his ways and walk in his ways in all that we do our entire lives. And then let's see what, what's on the other side, 18. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. We are God's treasure. As he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. That's a wonderful promise, right? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Give everything and learn my ways, walk in them, and I will bless you above all else. It's amazing. That's, that's not only God's promise to us, it's his plan for us. If we will simply agree to live this way. 
Next we're in Psalm 117 and 118. 117 is two verses. So I'll comment on 118, which is um, just wonderful. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. He talks about, you know, difficulties, whatever, but God is with him. God surpasses everything else. This is one of those Psalms that says over and over again, um, uh, his love endures forever. Which I just love that line. Uh, 19 through 24 say, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. So we're, there's a gate into something else, something other than the ordinary life, right? That we can enter into, that we live according to his way and we enter into this new life. 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone, so he's thanking God. God's made a way. He's made this possible for us. How's this salvation achieved? 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we know that's Jesus, right? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So God's doing something new. Well, I will tell you, Jesus is meant to be a, a model for the many sons of God. And so he's saying this, this way is opened up into something new. God is doing something new in our day as well, just as he did in, in Jesus's way. Jesus is the cornerstone that makes it all possible. But God is doing something new. Let's enter into it. And next we're in Isaiah 53. We were just talking about the fact how clearly 700 years before Christ, God showed what Jesus's life would look like on this earth. Um, and yet the people couldn't see it. But verse two says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So when we always see the pictures and he's this super handsome, attractive guy, uh, Isaiah says that wasn't the way he, there was nothing in him that we should look at and think, wow, this is, this is an amazing man in his flesh. He was nothing impressive. In other words, right? So it wasn't necessarily super tall or super, whatever it is that people like about other people. He didn't have that. He wasn't impressive in the flesh. He was impressive in the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. But that had to be discerned. Do we want the way of God or do we not? And he was either death or life to the one who encountered him, right? Verse four. Now, my, my personal opinion, because there have been quite a few people that have seen him and there's that young painter girl, I forget her name, Russian background. She's like a painting, amazing paintings at like four years old. And um, she apparently has visions of him all the time. And then there's this young boy who had a death experience and came to life. And there's a movie made about him. And his dad was asking him, kept showing him pictures of Jesus. And he kept saying, no, no, that's not him. That's not him. And then he saw a, a painting by this girl. Sorry, I don't remember her name. It's Alasha or something like that. Um, and he's like, that's him. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, and, and that, and he's not ugly in those pictures. So it, it's, um, if you think about the fact that his disciples did not recognize him when he came back multiple times. So perhaps that's a, a, a risen Jesus. 
But Isaiah makes it quite clear. The Gospels don't tell us what he looked like. But Isaiah makes it quite clear. There was nothing impressive, <coughs> nothing impressive about his flesh. Uh, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So he bore everything for us, and yet what did we do to him? We hurt him, right? And I won't go in. I mean... Surely the listener has read Isaiah 53. If not, you really should, because every single verse is amazingly depicting the life of Christ hundreds of years before he was born. So it's amazing. I'm just pointing out a couple things. Verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So when it was the will of the Lord to crush him, right? He, he was the Passover lamb. Um, and this chapter also sort of mentions that by talking about him as a lamb. But his soul makes an offering for guilt. So each time one of us comes to him, we know we've fallen short, we repent, and we want to turn around. He is able to make this offering for our guilt, and then what, what's the result of that? He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. So as we, <coughs> as we grow up in him, become a people in him, his offspring are multiplying. And his days are prolonged. Mm-hmm. Because he's living through us. You see that? The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So he's bringing about the will of God. It's pretty awesome, huh? Through us. And we're finishing in Matthew 1, and there's a genealogy, and then the story of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus' birth. The thing I've pointed out before, I don't know if I've pointed out to you, Weston, it's really cool. Verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. If you add them up, that's not correct. Um... The first two are correct. Abraham to David is 14. David to uh, the deportation, 14. But if you count from Babylon to Christ, it's 13. The 14th generation are the many sons of God to be raised up so that Christ's life is through a people on the earth, which I think is pretty cool. And that's it for today. God bless you. God bless you.